0: reading out of the English Standard Version. Listen to the word of the Lord. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then, And seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered to him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in that place. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Well, Father, we do thank you for your word, that it is truth and it is life to us, a people who need truth and life. We live in what is increasingly a dark and darkening world. And so, Lord, we need truth to light the darkness. And God, we do just in and of ourselves. We we. We stumble ourselves into enough, uh, enough trouble without the help of anybody else, without the help of a dark and darkening world. Lord, we can get ourselves into enough of a fix and perplexed, confused, and troubled in all kinds of other ways. And so we bring all of that need that you know better than we do today uh, to your word, opening it with the expectation that you've got something to say to us in it. So Lord, would you speak your word, by your spirit, through your servant, to your people, for your glory and our good. Lord, I ask you to move me out of the way, to focus my attention all on you, to focus our attention all on you, and that you would use my voice as your instrument. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. Well, John six is an enormously important chapter, Um, among other things. And maybe part of what makes it so important is what he'll say in verse thirty-five, and then what happens following verse thirty-five. But down to verse thirty-five, Jesus is going to say, "I am the bread." So here he's feeding bread to a multitude, but he's going. This is leading to a declaration where he says, "I am the bread." And then what he says following that is going to drive a lot of people away. A lot of the crowds following him to see the signs, to be wowed by what he's doing, and whatever other personally they may gain from that, uh, they'll they'll be gone by the end of chapter 6, many of them. So, um, as usual, in doing this miracle, Jesus is pointing to something much bigger, something about himself. Uh, bigger than just feeding a crowd of hungry hungry people. And namely, that they are also spiritually hungry, even if they don't recognize it, even to an extent that they don't recognize. They're spiritually hungry, and he is the nourishment that they need. It's appropriate that we would come upon uh, this passage leading into the passage to follow um, as we partake of communion today and receive that spiritual nourishment that he is to us, his people. But it's essential to understand that as we read as we read this passage that is so, so familiar. Matter of fact, there are probably few New Testament passages any more familiar to people who have grown up in church and Sunday school and that kind of thing uh, than this uh, story of the feeding of the multitude. And so it's essential to understand, uh, have some sense that there is something bigger he has in view so that this doesn't become in our minds just a story of Jesus feeding the hungry or just performing an amazing miracle to show how powerful he is. He does feed the hungry, and he does care about their hunger, and he does do an amazing miracle, and does reveal something extraordinary about how powerful he is, but there's something more going on there. Uh, The feeding of the multitude is the only miracle recorded in all four Gospels. Um, As we've noted, John writes a different sort of gospel with a different perspective for a different purpose, and so there's a lot of content that he includes that's not included in the other four gospels, and there's some stuff that he omits that's in the, or in the other three gospels, I should say, uh, some stuff that he omits that's in the other three, because he, he just he's writing for a different purpose, but this story is one that's included in all of them, but even at that, uh, John does include some significant facts here. That, that aren't included in the other Gospels. So this, this account of the feeding of the 5,000 and the other Gospels, John has some things, uh, some details here that, are, that we don't see there. So number one, that it was because of the signs he was doing among the sick, uh, he specifies here, that the people, that the crowds followed him. The other Gospels mentioned that it was also, um, it just followed uh, his receiving news about the death of John the Baptist. They were ministering and being just, uh, swamped by people all the time and they actually were pulling away for a little retreat it was almost like a little staff retreat Jesus and disciples going away to a desolate place for some rest they didn't get any rest because the crowd followed him there but it's also uh, that they're they're following him because of the signs that he's done John's the one who tells us that John tells us this uh, occurred around the season of Passover, significant in a couple of ways. Number one, it's the spring, and that's the reason there's green grass on the hill. He mentions they sit down in a grassy area. Uh, that would be dead and dried up later in the year. Uh, it's, that mention of the Passover is perhaps significant in other ways too, but John's the one who mentions that. Um, John is the one who tells us that there was this personal exchange between Jesus and Philip, where Jesus said, where are we gonna buy him bread? He's testing them, it says here. But um, this, is, this is the only gospel that has that exchange. The others tell us that was followed by the disciples coming and saying, hey, uh, you know, Philip says, eight months, eight months' pay wouldn't be enough to buy all these people food. That's what that is equivalent to. And the other disciples come up and say, why don't we send them into town to buy some food? Jesus says, you feed them. That, that we get in the other three Gospels. Very significantly, John is the only one who tells us the loaves and the fish come from a boy. And you don't know this story without the boy, do you? <laughs> you, can't, I mean, you can't even think about the story. If you're like me, you, uh, there's some little Bible story book that, that you read or somebody read to you along the way even has a picture of the boy. I've got a picture in my head of the boy and his fish. I don't think either one of them is very authentic. Uh, but John's the one who tells us that. And then at the end, we have this significant uh, declaration by the people that Jesus was the prophet and Jesus withdrawing because they uh, wanted to make him king by force. That's, uh, those are details only John tells us. Part of the reason I share that is because we're gonna focus on some of those, or we're gonna, we're gonna be sure to highlight some of the things that John, John highlights for us. But again, Jesus is, li- like all of his other signs, the sign is pointing to something about himself. And, uh, and so I want to just focus on four revelations about Jesus that are revealed through the feeding of the multitude. Number one, that he's glorified by using unremarkable people to do great things. Or lowly people, you might say. Number two, that Jesus is glorified by using meager means to do great things. Three, that Jesus uh, is more glorious than any prophet. And four, that Jesus is far too glorious to be merely our supplier of worldly comforts. And so I'll take it under those headings and Fairly concisely, I guess, with communion in view here. There's so much, there's so many sermons that could be preached out of this passage. There are so many lessons and so many principles here. Um, but I wanna look first at the fact that Jesus is glorified by using unremarkable people to do great things. There are more words you could substitute besides unremarkable. Again, weak, lowly, uh, marginalized, disregarded, <laughs> all kinds of things, but Jesus is unremarkable is glorified to do that. Almost everyone, as I said, who has ever heard this uh, story of the feeding of the 5,000, as we call it, um, associates the boy with the story. You can't think of the story without the boy in it. Even though, as I mentioned, John's the only gospel writer who mentions him. And because of those Sunday school Bible stories we heard, the boy is, is almost the second hero, at least the way I remember being told the story. The boy's almost like the second hero of the story because this sweet little boy came and uh, he was such a good boy and so kind that he offered his fish. He sacrificed his his lunch for the good of the masses, right? But we actually don't know that the boy did anything noble here at all. There's a good lesson in this for us to don't don't make sermons out of stuff the Bible doesn't say okay, or devotions or whatever. And, and what's fascinating is this one's got a lot of them. This one's got a lot of them. I even read a little blog article this, this week, pretty well written, written in most, most regards, but she said that the, the unsung hero of this passage was the mom who packed this little boy a lunch. <laughs> and she, you know what? Moms are unsung heroes for that fact, but she has nothing to do with the story as far as we know. I mean, there's nothing in the Bible about that, but we don't know the boy did anything noble here. It doesn't say that he came and offered his fish. It doesn't say he sacrificed anything. For all we know, uh, the, 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 do you ever thought about, why is the boy the only one with any food? Right? It could have been because he wouldn't eat his lunch earlier. Right? It could have been everybody else ate, and the boy said, ah, oh, barley, loaves, and fish again. And his mom said, well, fine, you put it back in your backpack and you'll have it for dinner, but you're not getting another thing until, you, uh, until that, that bread and fish is gone. And so Andrew comes around saying, anybody got any food? And the boy says, yeah, some bread. Now, of course, I just made all that up, right? But the point is I can do it too. I can make up stories about what's not in the Bible uh, better than a lot of people can. But we don't know why this boy uh, had the food or why he came forward with it. Um, because the point here is not what the boy did. The point is what Jesus did with the boy. And, 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 and part of the reason we, we, we are inclined toward that kind of reading of the scripture is because we want to find ourselves in the story and make the, the Bible about us, right? Too often, and the Bible's not about us, and certainly this isn't about us. This is about Jesus. Uh, So all we know is a boy had food and Jesus used it. Bear in mind, Jesus didn't even need bread to do this miracle. You know, this isn't like friendship bread where you need a little starter, you know. He didn't need any starter bread. When he made uh, uh, wine at the wedding of Cana, he made it out of water, right? He didn't need a little bit of wine to make a whole lot of wine. So so Jesus could have said right here, just reach your hands down in the grass and pull it up and and they could have had bread. He could have done that any number of ways. But the significance here, as I said, is what Jesus did with the boy because Jesus made this unremarkable person part of this miracle. That's life-changing, right? Just by the grace of God, to be included in something he's doing, not because of any goodness or worthiness in yourself. In fact, in spite of the fact that you're not good and not worthy, because you're not wise and you're not strong. Jesus delights to use people like that and include them in the story. He's even more glorified by doing that. Jesus was the guy who picked uh, the the people nobody else would pick. I mean, you think about the way that we... uh, any of us do this kind of thing. You remember back in PE and in elementary or middle school or kind of at the playground after school and that kind of thing, playing sports. So if you were doing kickball or basketball or something and picking teams, you'd have a captain pick, right? And the captain would pick, you would take turns picking. You, you pick a team for yourself. You're playing five-on-five five basketball. These two people are gonna be the captain of each team and you and you pick, uh, you each of them take turns picking four people. And you start with the, you pick the best Person, the best player, right? You stack your team. And then at the end, you know, you, you pick the short guy for the basketball team. Ask me how I know. Uh, but, see, but, but see, Jesus, Jesus was the guy. I mean, if he, was, if he was picking the five on five basketball team, he said, I take the guy in the wheelchair. Yeah, give me the blind kid over there. I, I, I want the woman. Give me the little kid over there with the runny nose. He he deliberately picks the weak, the powerless, and he uses them. His power is made perfect in their weakness. He chooses the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and the, he chooses the weak things of the world to put to shame the strong. He is glorified by doing that, and that certainly is part of this story. The boy didn't do anything that we need to uh, uh, imitate other than be weak. We can, we, can, uh, we can imitate that one. So Jesus is glorified by using our unremarkable people to do great things. Second, Jesus is glorified By using meager means to do great things. Not only unremarkable people, but just meager means. Less is more in the hands of Jesus. Nobody can explain uh, that he had, you know, uh, so many circumstances working to his benefit. Um, He didn't want it that way uses meager means. The meager means here, of course, is this five barley loaves and two fish. Barley was a poor man's grain. In fact, it was a grain they fed to horses, but, uh, but it, was, it was the less preferred to wheat. Wheat was a better grain for bread. Um, barley was not one of, of preference, so it's poor man's bread. And these uh, loaves were small, kind of hand-padded sort of things and then baked. I read one writer that said about the size of a Twinkie Okay, so like a Twinkie, but without any of the deliciousness. But it's, a, it, it's, it's small, uh, undesirable sort of grain bread that, uh, that make up those five barley loaves. The fish are also small, and John uses a word uh, that indicates that, okay? That he indicates that they are small, diminutive kind of fish. So these are little tidbits, morsels, uh, to put on the bread that gives it a little bit of flavor. So think about something like sardines, smoked uh, herring, or that kind of thing that people might eat on crackers. I'm sorry to even suggest, by the way, that you think of sardines, much less eating them. But um, but, to, to to get in our mind, again, we don't have a picture of a boy carrying a couple of Uh, flounder or red drum or something around and you know five loaves under his arm like he got from Panera bread okay small little personal size loaves and then some little fish like sardines that are just going to flavor the bread a very very meager meal and so this is the humble meal of one poor boy truly a po' boy sandwich, if you've heard of those. Like that, that's really, this is a po' boy sandwich. And that's what's presented to feed thousands and thousands of people. And Jesus delights to do that. Uh, number three, Jesus is more glorious than any prophet. His use of barley loaves uh, actually sort of invites comparisons to an incident involving Elisha in 2 Kings chapter four, verses 42 through 44. And it says there that a man came from Baal Shalisha, bringing the man of God bread for the first fruits, 20 loaves of barley and fresh ears of grain in his sack. And Elisha said, give to the men that they may eat. This man brings 20 loaves of barley. He says, give to the men that they may eat. But his servant said, how can I set this before a 100 men? So he repeated, give them to the men that they may eat. For thus says the Lord, they shall eat and have some left. So he set it before them, and they ate and had some left according to the word of the Lord. Again, if you would like to look at that reference later, 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 42 through 44. But if you're listening there, it bears some similarity, right? That someone brings some barley loaves uh, to a prophet for people to eat, but more people than could possibly, than it could possibly feed. This is one of a series of mighty works that Elisha performed. But he fed here in a similar kind of way. He fed 100 people with 20 barley loaves. And, and, and this, uh, this similarity is, is not coincidental, I don't think. Inspired by God here in both cases that Jesus fed a hundred times more than that, at least. You know, this tells us there's 5,000 men. We know there's a boy here in this story, but Matthew tells us in his account, um, plus the women and children. These are 5,000 households, in other words. Maybe some men without wives or children, of course, but uh, but 5,000 household units. He's... Jesus fed at least 10,000, maybe 15,000, maybe 20,000 people that day with five barley loaves. Elisha's miracle was to feed 100 people with 20 barley loaves. There's no doubt in my mind that part of the point God wants to make here that John makes for us is to say, Jesus is so far superior to any prophet that those people have in mind. Any comparison they make in their mind that Jesus is a prophet like so-and-so. Don't even finish the sentence. Leave so-and-so out of it because he is so far superior to any other prophet, to any other great man. He's immeasurably greater than the greatest of men. And so in verse 14, when it says the people concluded that Jesus was the prophet, not just a prophet, the prophet, was to come into the world, they probably have in mind Deuteronomy 18, 15, where Moses said to them, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me among you. Part of what they are waiting for, long awaiting for throughout the history of Israel is the coming of the prophet like Moses. And one of the things Jesus makes clear is, I'm not like Moses. I am not like Elisha. I am not like Elijah. I'm like God, my father, just like him, in fact. So far superior to Moses, to Elisha, to Elijah, or any other prophet. And we ought to shut our ears quickly to anybody who uh, even tries to speak complimentary of Jesus on that level. Like Jesus is a good a good teacher like Confucius or Buddha or Gandhi or... Um, you know, Muhammad, or that even he's the prophet that, that, uh, that Muslims consider him to be. He is so far superior to that, uh, we, ought, we ought to not even uh, open our ears to regard Jesus in that way. And that's part of what he wants to reveal here, that he is far more glorious than anything they're expecting. And then fourth, I should say, Far, far more than anything they're expecting, and frankly, in some cases, far more than what we expect. Because number four, Jesus is far too glorious to be merely our supplier of worldly comforts. He is far too glorious for us to treat him that way and regard him that way as the supplier of our worldly comforts. You know, Jesus... Uh, I should say, just as we re- need the reminder um, from the example of the boy that uh, we're not too small for Jesus to use us in great things, in great ways. We're not too weak, not too foolish, et cetera. We need that reminder. But we also need the reminder that Jesus is too great for us to use him in pursuit of our small things. We're not too small for Jesus to use us to do great things. He is too great for us to use him in pursuit of our small things. We do that in countless ways. Steve Curtis uh, preached a sermon a few months ago and uh, quoted in that uh, sermon, the C.S. Lewis quote that some are familiar with, we are far too easily pleased that what we we spend our energies pursuing on this earth, what what we get our appetites worked up about, what gets us animated and stirred up and agitated and worried and all of that kind of thing, what occupies and preoccupies us is is little stuff. We are far too easily pleased, as Lewis said. And Jesus seems to encounter this from people at every turn in John's gospel, right? He he said so many times they they, they were following him because of the signs that he did. Jesus said it himself, here in verse two, it says once again, the crowds are following him because of the signs he did on the sick specifically. And John is only uh, told of one healing in his gospel. But apparently, we know from the other gospels there were lots of them. Uh, but apparently, even in the uh, the narrative that John has in mind, there are lots of mir- healing miracles that had taken place because the people are are following him for that reason. So they've seen him uh, heal the sick. They follow him because of that. Then he feeds them a meal, and not just a little bit. They're not rationing here. They are all satisfied, they all have a satisfying meal, and then there's leftovers. He fills them full and satisfying. Then seeing that, uh, the miraculous way that he did that, they're ready to make him king right there on the spot. So this is the people he's dealing with. These are the thousands of followers Jesus has at this point. They love the healing. They love the food. uh, They love the fact that um, they think he's gonna be their king. And we may be more like these crowds than we wish. I really alluded to this a, uh, a few weeks ago in the story of uh, the woman at the well because when, when she first finds out he's got water that will never run dry, she's like, oh, tell me about that because it is really a chore coming to this well every day. I mean, she basically doesn't want to come back uh, to the well. That'll make her life easier. And, and she, she at that moment would be satisfied with that. And we are in, in, in so many ways satisfied uh, with a Jesus like that. Because what is it the people here want from him? Why is it that thousands of people are on that hillside and ready now to keep him on that hillside with them? Why is it? Well, they want him to heal our bodies, fill our bellies, secure our borders. Or, or, or save our country, you might say. But in other words, they, they Passover season is a not only a religious holiday, but a national one. It is one where nationalistic fervor kind of gets stirred up, especially living under the op- op- oppression of Roman government. And so they're, they're like, this is the mood. It's like July 4th on steroids. Okay, and so here's Jesus. And they go, oh, here's our guy heal our bodies, fill our bellies, secure our borders. And doesn't that sum up the overwhelming majority of what's on our prayer lists? Doesn't that sum it up, what what, what occupies most of our heart's concerns is that God would heal our bodies, fill our bellies, save our country. And we're satisfied with that kind of Savior. Savior. Far too often, we are far too easily pleased. Jesus isn't having any of it. The last verse of this says, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. He's not gonna be made a king. He didn't come to be that kind of king. His kingdom is not of this world. He's not having any of it. He's not entering his name in the race. He's not a candidate for that. And while he is clearly concerned about physical needs, he does heal people. And not only as a sign to point to his deity, but because he has compassion on people. And he does meet the physical needs of people. Not only in miraculous ways, but in ordinary ways, because he cares about people but he is far more than a supplier of our worldly comforts. And worldly comforts and worldly needs and worldly stresses and pressures uh, incline our eyes downward. That we look around, preoccupied, worked up with all kinds of concerns of this earth. And he's inviting us, exhorting us all the time to look up not only to him, but to what he is doing and what he will do ultimately. This world is not our home. This is not his kingdom. There will be a new earth. (laughs) That is part of the story, but there is nothing about this world, this is not gonna be your best life now. There is no scenario in which you will have your best life now. I shouldn't say that. If you go to hell, this would turn out to be your best life now, but that, but that is not his interest. That is not why he came. That's not why he did the things that he did. It's not why he's still doing the things that he's doing to make us more comfortable and more satisfied, more at peace on this earth and more prosperous in some way. And yet the irony is how many people will talk about like, that's next level Christianity, yeah, Jesus came to save us eternally from our sins. Yeah, yada, 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 Like, that's the basic package. But the gold package is, you know, healing and prosperity and and and, and on and on, just sort of blessing and peace. And there's a sense in which uh, that's true and well-placed in that we ought to expect Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and the Holy Spirit that he has sent to us, continues to work today in all the ways that he worked in ages past. And so we ought to expect healings and provision and miracles and so forth. But you know, as well as I do, there are people um, who have considered that the sort of the gold package of Christianity and then get utterly preoccupied with the gold That really being close to Jesus, really being favored by Jesus, is measured by healings and prosperity and personal peace. It is not the case. Lift up your eyes and see something higher than that, that Jesus came to do and is doing. As he is far too glorious to be made merely the supplier of our personal comforts. And so Jesus glorifies himself in this story. And that was very much his intention on his way to doing, saying something, uh, saying a series of things that will turn the tide. And the thousands who have followed him here will not follow him to the next destination on his journey. We'll get there. So this is to be continued, dot, dot, dot but we may want to leave still with a a nagging question. Uh, We may want to read ahead to see what what lies ahead in the text because we're gonna be left with the question of whether we would really follow him on too. Do we really desire a Jesus who is far too glorious to be merely the supplier of our personal worldly comforts? Well, we'll tie a bow around this passage there um, as we go to prayer and to the Lord's table. let's pray. Well Lord, you are great and greatly to be praised. More than we can comprehend, more than we can put words to. And so we thank you for what you reveal about yourself in this all too familiar passage, really probably, uh, truly, too familiar for many of us, because there are things that we do know or do associate with us that, with it that that cause us not uh, to hear much uh, much else about what you've said here. But we thank you for what you've revealed about yourself, and we thank you, Lord, that you choose the weak rather than the strong, not those who have power and position, and strength of their own, but those who come to recognize and acknowledge that even when we have had power and position in a worldly sense, and even when we have thought we have been strong by some uh, earthly measure, that we are really all weak and needy people and we thank you for that revelation because it brings us to Jesus who can be our all in all. So God, I pray this morning that as your Holy Spirit continues to work in the hearts of people to, uh, to cause truth, to flourish and be empowered and to, and to do its work, Lord, that you would challenge us and change us and move us to be people who rejoice and celebrate at who Jesus is, even when um, nothing around us in our circumstances would testify in any way about his present uh, provision or healing or um, safety and security even in the absence of those. Lord, would you stir our hearts with such a deep affection for Jesus that we exalt him and his glory and desire it more and more. Minister that into our hearts now and as we continue about our day and week and we ask it in his name, amen.